Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Preparations continue for the Queen's funeral. The OMA has a plan to help Ontario's ailing healthcare system. We'll talk about dress codes and their negative impact on students. The 49th season at Theatre Aquarius is underway. The Ticats host the two-time defending champs. And we check in with McMaster University's women's soccer team. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Our country came of age under her reign. It was Her Majesty who proclaimed and signed the Constitution Act of 1982 and our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. These pillars of our democracy help uphold the stability of our country and keep us free. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. That is the voice of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as he and many other Canadian MPs paid tribute yesterday to the Commonwealth's longest serving monarch as we are now just days before the funeral for Queen Elizabeth II. Our coverage of Monday's funeral will begin at 5 a.m. Eastern Time, live from Westminster Abbey. Joining us now to talk about uh, what is still to come on this journey for the Queen is Ben O'Hara Byrne. He's the host of A Little More Conversation. You can hear it weeknights at 10 p.m. on 900 CHML. Ben, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thanks, Rick. Uh, doing well. I mean, it's been uh, obviously very busy here, but uh, one thing that has held out is the weather, which is always good news in London in September. Um, so for all those coming here, waiting in line uh, to pay, their, pay tribute to the Queen while she lies in state, uh, funeral preparations and so forth, uh, there has been that blessing at least so far. That is definitely very good news, especially for those who are waiting in line, which we heard earlier today was actually uh, stopped in terms of more people joining the line because it was apparently full. What's the latest on that? It is. It is. They've, they've paused it for six hours. Uh, they've reached capacity. They feel there, there just isn't room to put more people in that line. Uh, I think we, we knew this was going to happen as the week progressed, as the weekend began to arrive, that more and more people would feel the need to take advantage of, of the opportunity to pay their final respects. Um, you know, there's only so many people they can put through, uh, and uh, the waits can become too long, I think. Uh, you know, at one point there was talk of 30-hour waits, so no one can really do do that. So I think what they're trying to do now is to uh, is to meet it out in a certain way. There's actually a YouTube channel you can follow to find out just how long the line is and how long you're expected to wait. And last I looked, it was, you know, it was eight, nine hours. So I feel like they've reached capacity, and now they're going to pause it for a bit, and they're going to let people know when they can come join again. But you know, in this case, there's simply there's truly going to be far more uh, demand than there is time, and I think uh, everyone was aware that they would probably run into that problem. It'll probably only uh, be worse over the weekend, I would think, as more and more people have some time to spare to go and wait uh, that long uh, to uh, to pay tribute. When it comes to Monday's funeral for the Queen, has all the planning been ironed out and, and released to everyone? Yeah, I mean, we know a lot of, we, we're getting a far better idea of who's going to be there, what the procession is going to look like, both to uh, Westminster Abbey from Westminster Hall, which is a very short distance, but also from uh, from Westminster Abbey to Wellington Arch, which is further. We'll take that same route that people may be familiar with in reverse, essentially in reverse from what we saw on Tuesday when the coffin was brought from uh, Buckingham Palace to Westminster Hall. Uh, so up the mile, up Constitution Hill, um, and in fact, that'll be, that's going to be quite the moment for Canada, because my understanding is that the RCMP's uh, musical ride uh, on aboard four horses that were gifted to the Queen by the RCMP will actually lead that procession after the funeral. They'll be right in the front. Uh, we also know there are a lot of, uh, there's going to be a significant Canadian and Commonwealth military presence in that parade. Uh, 89, or 80, 85 members total, representing 16 different 
regiments with close ties to the Queen. And then, there, of course, there are all the VIPs coming. I understand the Canadian delegation will arrive here on uh, Saturday morning. Um, and we've heard today that the Pope is not coming. That was sort of one of the last uh, pieces of this large uh, dignitary puzzle. Uh, he, of course, has trouble with his knees, and he will not be attending. Uh, he'll be sending a senior Vatican official in his place. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Ben O'Hara-Byrne, the host of A Little More Conversation, weeknights at 10 p.m. on 900 CHML. Ben is going to be covering the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II for us. Uh, That happens on Monday. You can hear it live on 900 CHML beginning at 5 a.m. You mentioned the Canadian delegation. It's, It's a quite large one. It is. I mean, I think we were under the impression that the fact that Charles is head of state, the king is head of state in Canada, would allow those countries that where he is to have a larger delegation. Uh, so it is significant. It is significantly larger than the American delegation, for instance. Uh, not too many surprises. I mean, current and former governors general makes sense. Uh, Michael Jean will be there. Uh, obviously, Jean Chrétien, Stephen Harper, Paul Martin, Tim Campbell will all be there. There are some, a few a few surprises. I mean, you know, the Order of Canada recipients. Uh, I, you know, there are many to choose from, but we have. You know, Sandra O, oh, Gregory Charles, and uh, Mark Tewksbury. I suppose they could have picked any number of uh, any number of a trio to go. Uh, they've chosen them. We don't know exactly why, but they're all you know they're all good people. So it's, uh, that that makes some sense. And then Indigenous leaders, of course, will be there. The uh, the uh, head of the of the Assembly of First Nations will be there, as well as representatives of the Métis and Inuit communities uh, will be there as well. So this is obviously a um, a guest list planned out for maximum representation. I think that's very much. Of the times, we know that uh, this is while the Queen herself was often uh, seen as being apolitical or non-political. That, that these funerals are obviously do nod to the politics of the time, and I think our guest list, as well as many others, reflect that. Uh, after a day of uh, reflection and uh, no royal duties yesterday for King Charles III, I understand he is back on uh, royal duty, quote unquote, today. What's he up to today? Yeah, they were in Wales. You know, they're doing a tour of the United Kingdom. It began in Scotland, obviously, because the Queen's uh, coffin was there. They then went to Northern Ireland uh, late last week, or earlier this week, rather. And uh, now they've gone to Wales. That completes the tour. They were there today. It's much of the same, you know, a service at, uh, at a cathedral there with, uh, with a sermon um, as well. And tonight, uh, an anticipated event in many ways. Uh, as the Queen lies in state, there'll be something called the Vigil of the Princes. Uh, where Prince Charles will be joined by, or King Charles, I should say, will be joined by his siblings, Princess Anne, uh, Prince Andrew, and Prince Edward, who will stand vigil around the Queen's coffin for uh, 20 minutes, beginning at 7.30 um, London time, so 2.30 where you are. And that is a much-anticipated thing. They saw that, and we saw that in, in Edinburgh as well uh, when they did that. In fact, Princess Anne made history there because there had never been uh, a woman standing guard in this vigil of the princes. So that will happen again tonight at 7.30, and a lot of, uh, a lot of eyes will be on that. Ben, phenomenal job this week. The next that we'll hear from you on this radio station will not only be in our newscasts uh, throughout the day today, but certainly on Monday when uh, the Queen is ultimately um, uh, laid to rest and uh, her funeral is held. Thanks for joining us throughout the week this week. Yeah, my pleasure, Rick. Thanks. Ben O'Hara-Byrne is the host of A Little More Conversation. You can hear that show weeknights at 10 p.m. on 900 CHML and has been doing a a great job of uh, giving us the sights and sounds and feelings of uh, what is happening in London and throughout the Commonwealth. And um, our coverage of the Queen's funeral on Monday will begin at 5 a.m. Eastern Time. The Toronto International Film Festival, which you all know is uh, underway, it is offering a free screening of a film on the Queen to commemorate 
uh, her life and uh, her funeral coming up on Monday. The film is called Elizabeth, A Portrait in Parts, and it uh, uses archival footage and behind-the-scenes access to present chapters of the life of the Queen. Uh, tickets uh, are, are free. Uh, you can get them on the TIFF website, and they are available as of today. The screening itself takes place on Sunday, so that should be interesting, especially to those fans of the monarchy. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It's almost a daily basis now that we're hearing about Ontario's ailing healthcare system, really Canada's ailing healthcare system. Uh, the Ontario Medical Association has come out with three uh, proposals that uh, it says will make an immediate impact. And here to tell us about it is Dr. Rose Zacharias, president of the Ontario Medical Association. Dr. Zacharias, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Let's dive right into it. Your first recommendation is uh, have more foreign trained physicians obtain their license. Now, the province says it's acting on this. Is it doing it fast enough? So we know due to the doctor and nursing shortage that we need to bring on board more healthcare team providers. So this is an immediate solution that we are recommending. We actually already have mechanisms in place for licensing American, uh, U.S. trained uh, family doctors and specialists who want to come and work in Canada. And we actually also have mechanisms for family doctors educated in countries such as Ireland, Britain, New Zealand, Australia, where training over there is similar to ours. Uh, to come into our, our healthcare system. But we need to have a, a different mechanism in place so that doctors from other countries who are already living here in Canada and have completed the exam to, uh, to be allowed to practice would now do their residency, kind of their junior doctor training under the supervision of another family doctor for three or four years. And this would be a new and different and accelerated way of getting more doctors into Ontario. How many foreign trained physicians are, say, in Ontario? Is there a lot of them? So I, I think it's upwards of a few hundred. Um, we know that there are well over a million, uh, maybe close to two million people in Ontario that don't have a family doctor. And so when you look at the math, any um, amount of family doctors that would come into the system would help to absorb some of the patients that are not currently attached to family doctors. And family doctor-patient relationships are so important. They're the trusted patient relationship that kind of helps you navigate the healthcare system to do that preventative care so that the, the high blood pressure or the diabetes that you have doesn't get more complicated and, and end up in having a, a heart attack or a stroke. These family doctor-patient relationships are so key. They're really the backbone of our entire healthcare system. And so we need to find ways to make that more robust. Number two on the OMA's three solutions to help Ontario's ailing healthcare system is, and I think we've talked about this on the show before, integrated ambulatory centers that I'm, I'm guessing can be easily set up. How would these work? So these are a series of standalone surgical centers that would be publicly funded. We're not talking about any queue jumping or paying um, extra money to get first in line, but surgical centers that would deal with the lesser complex lesser acute but equally as important surgeries that have been waiting in the wings. So those are the hip surgeries, knee surgeries, cataract and hernia surgeries. Also some cancer screening procedures like 
colonoscopies and mammograms, all of those got really put on a shelf while we were dealing with the crisis of COVID. Nobody's fault, but just uh, anytime there's a crisis, you deal with the crisis at hand. And now we have a problem of backlog and people are getting sicker um, and their mental health is becoming even um, burdened as a result of waiting for these surgeries. So this recommendation has people coming into these surgical centers for those procedures and surgeries, um, and uh, and we really do think it's going to help catch up on the backlog. The third and final recommendation to improve the healthcare system uh, involves adding more hospice beds, uh, uh, boosting palliative care services. What impact would this have? Yes, absolutely. We know that palliative care is so important. So people who are living with end-stage heart disease or end-stage lung disease who at this point um, really need good care around their symptom management to manage pain, to manage nausea, to manage the anxiety even around having having such conditions. And good care, palliative care, can be given um, at the end of life. And yet we know that of more than um, 100,000 people who died in Ontario in 2017-2018, for example, over that time period, only 61% received palliative care in their final year. And so many of those people had to make unplanned visits to an emergency department during their final month of life. And we know emergency departments have been closing across Ontario and hospitals are in the state of overwhelm and there's nursing and doctor shortages. And so this is the, there will be a ripple effect of caring better for our palliative patients in the community um, to help with the hospital system overwhelm that we're experiencing right now. Well, it sounds like a good plan. Let's hope the health ministry and the provincial government is listening. Dr. Zacharias, thanks for joining us today and uh, sharing some insight into these uh, recommendations. Absolutely. You're welcome. Dr. Rose Zacharias is the president of the Ontario Medical Association. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. One of the many things I'm thankful for is that my kids are done school. And one of the reasons why I'm thankful for this is I no longer have to buy them their uniforms. They both went to Catholic school, both elementary and high school. And in each case, they had to wear a uniform, which, you know, back in in my high school days, I had to do the same thing. So, you know, I felt their pain. They felt my pain (laughs) more in the pocketbook than anything else. But in the same sense, you know, it has me and I'm sure many other parents wondering, you know, why do dress codes exist? And not necessarily ones at Catholic schools or even private schools. I mean, public schools that don't have a uniform, so to speak, uh, also have a dress code. In some, if not many cases, these dress codes can be damaging. So much so that researchers at Brock University say dress codes at school target individual groups such as uh, girls, non-binary, and students of color. Rebecca Ray is a professor in the Department of Child and Youth Studies at Brock University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Oh, hi, Rick. Um, how are you doing? I'm, f- I'm fine. Thanks for joining us today. You studied uh, dress code regulations across North America that have been in effect for the past 20 years. What did you uncover? Yeah, we've looked at dress codes actually for quite a long time, and um, it's been really interesting to see... Um, sort of shifts in dress codes over time and also um, a rise in student response to dress codes since, you know, about 2014. Um, and, and that rise has been students increasingly um, speaking out in, in very significant ways. I think 
facilitated through social media saying that um, some of these dress codes are um, they're unfair in how they're written um, and they're also unfair in how they're enforced and justified by schools um, in in all sorts of instances and so that's raised um, concerns for us and and certainly um, you know we found these patterns over and over again and especially um, girls saying um, that uh, they're not fair right that they are often framed around um, girls' clothes and the idea that they're being distracting to boys and um, these moments when they're called out are often experienced as per- as profoundly shaming for those girls. Yeah, I can I can believe that for sure. You also mentioned that uh, dress codes uh, have shifted over the years. Has there been a dramatic shift recently or or over the past number of years in terms of whether they were stricter or or loosened, so to speak? Yeah, I would say, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, depends how far you want to go back. But I mean, I'm sure some of your listeners are remembering, like, a long, long time ago, there were, you know, dress codes that were very strict that, you know, girls had to wear skirts, for example, and boys had to wear pants. But things got really loosened up in sort of the late uh, 20th century. And then, you know, around the turn of the century, then schools started getting really intense again about creating um, very specific and sometimes very rigid dress codes for students. And, um, you know, and, and there was, I mean, there, there were protests before, but social media has really made those protests much more visible and has allowed young people to sort of cross a t- talk across each other to address the concerns that they've been facing about them. And we know there has to be a line drawn somewhere when it comes to dress codes, i.e., you know, curse mm-hmm. words, hate speech. We can't have that. But this mm-hmm. this is something different, though. Yeah, well, this is extremely tricky. Um, when I when I uh, started looking into this stuff, I was looking at school rules in general. And, you know, um, students are generally very much in favor of a lot of school rules, especially ones around things, you know, like violence and stuff like that. But the dress codes are a place of a lot of tension and um, and they're, they're so tricky because often schools will use language like, you know, you need to dress appropriately. Who decides what is appropriate dress? You know, in some ways that's very generational. It's also, um, you know, cultural. And so that gets hard. And so then other schools try to respond by having very specific, like, you know, you can't have a tank top that the straps are more than are less than two inches wide and that kind of thing. But then you get into this extremely tricky situation where, you know, you've got (laughs) schools lining girls up and measuring like the length of their skirts or measuring the length of their, of their straps. And, um, and it's a very, um, well, it's a very alienating experience for them, especially when (laughs) some girls are more likely to be targeted than other girls, for instance. Yeah. And that, um, that shaming will have a, a long lasting impact too. Totally. Well, you know, if you can imagine, um, you know, sometimes they'll be wearing even like almost the same top as another girl, but the girl who's a bigger girl or a bit more developed is more likely to be singled out. And, um, and then, um, you know, (laughs) she's sort of bewildered, right? Like, why me? And, and also really embarrassed because of the sort of um, attention that has gotten and sometimes very angry, especially if, you know, she's, sent home even in order to change out of something that was considered problematic. You know, it's a tricky time, right? You know, young people are, you know, kind of their bodies are changing, they're adjusting. And um, to have that scrutiny is really, really difficult and feels also unjust because then, you know, they come out of the school and they see, you know, the guys playing shirts versus skins and Mm -hmm. they're thinking, okay, wait a second, what's going on here? 
Yeah, there's certainly a double standard, and there has been for years. Rebecca, we'll have to leave it there. Really appreciate your time today. Great job on this research. Oh, thanks so much. Take it easy. That is uh, Rebecca Rabbi, a professor in the Department of Child and Youth Studies at Brock University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Thinking of being entertained, that brings us to Theater Aquarius. It's 2022-23 season begins tonight with Salt Baby. And here to talk about what uh, we can see and hear and feel is Mary Frances Moore, the Artistic Director at Theatre Aquarius. Mary, good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Rick? Not too bad. Thanks for joining us today. I cannot believe I saw this in the news release that came out yesterday. This is the 49th season at Theatre Aquarius. Isn't that incredible? That's insane. I know. We're very excited. We've got, we're, plans <laughs> are already underway for the 50th, but we're going to get through the 49th first starting tonight. Yes, exactly. So this is, uh, as as you guys describe it, a season that speaks to identity, belonging, and chosen family. Speak to that a little bit. Yeah, there's an extraordinary artist here in town called Karen Anchetta. Uh, she's an amazing actor and director. And we were standing one day at the stage door, and I was talking about the season and the plays that I was looking at. And I said, you know, you know, you know, we're just sort of chatting. And I said, oh, and oh, and you know what, we we want to do something with the stage door. We want to make it feel really welcoming when people come in. So that's a side door where actors and directors and things come through at the back of the theater. And she said, you know what, you need, you need a mirror here at this door. And I said, oh, so you can see yourself when you come in? And she said, no, so you can see yourself. And I stopped for a second to see what, you know, what, what she meant. And I realized, and I thought, oh, it's not just about, you know, seeing yourself on our stages, it's about seeing yourself in our buildings, in our programs, in our offices. So if you're a playwright, a student, a community member, it's about recognizing yourself throughout the building, on stage and off. And so that really sort of tied everything together for me, because I think we do have that amazing ability in theater to see ourselves on stage. It's not necessarily our experiences or our exact stories, but they're slivers of recognition. And I think that sort of summarizes the entire season. And that's what I want people in the community to think of when they think of Theatre Chris, that they belong there. Yeah, that's very poignant. That is for sure. Opening night tonight is 7.30 with the production of Salt Baby. What can you tell us about this uh, production? Salt Baby is a gorgeous play. It's by Phelan Johnson. And for those of you who know Phelan's work, she's a, an actor turned playwright, podcaster, and now very well-respected CBC journalist. Phelan's from Sick Nations, and her work has never been produced at the theater. So when I read the play and realized it was Phelan's, and I saw the connections, I thought, well, who better to kick off our season than an artist of her caliber and her repute? So it's a great play. It's a, it's a story about a young woman named Salt Baby um, who is searching for identity, searching for belonging, and trying to figure out um, for someone who doesn't look what society perceives as typically indigenous. She, she refers to herself as ethnically ambiguous. And, and she, she's always had this sense of uh, not belonging or, or not truly understanding who she is and where she's from. And so it follows her journey as she sort of discovers her own identity and what, what that means to the people around her. So it's, we're calling it a dramedy. It's, it's a poignant comedy is what I would say. <laughs> Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Mary Frances Moore, the Artistic Director at Theatre Aquarius. You can check out the whole lineup of Season 49 online at theateraquarius.org. While you're there, hey, get some tickets to some of these shows. Um, 
I was just looking at some of the other shows that are on tap. You have six plays, including three world premieres, including one that's called Serving Elizabeth, which seems quite timely. Oh my gosh, isn't it so timely? <laughs> we were just chatting about that yesterday at the at the theater. Um, Serving Elizabeth, we go into rehearsal for that in two weeks, and that's a story by Marcia Johnson. Uh, Marcia was watching The Crown, the episode of The Crown, the TV show on Netflix, and it was the episode where Queen Elizabeth, uh, Princess Elizabeth goes to Africa with her husband, the prince, and that's when her father dies, and she discovers that she is now the queen and marcia was watching the episode and realized that for an episode that took place in africa not a single black actor spoke in that in that episode so that was a motivation for her to write this play that has now gone across the country it's sweeping the theaters across the country it's a comedy um it's it's really it's it's powerful it's funny it's strong and it's about in a, in a conversation who gets to have a voice and you know we are um we're all just sort of in shock at the timing of all of this, but this is, we're welcoming AC Mensa back to Hamilton. AC is a choreographer, director. She's worked with Drake. She's worked with Rihanna. She's worked around the world, but she's from Hamilton and she's coming home to direct this play with this star studded cast. We start that in two weeks. So the season is off to a start, Rick, and we could not be more excited. Yeah, opening night tonight at Theatre Aquarius, 7.30 with uh, Salt Baby. That sounds like a fantastic show. We're in discussion with Mary Frances Moore, the Artistic Director of Theatre Aquarius. I did not know until I was on the website the other day that you guys have a theatre school. How is that going? Oh my gosh, this theatre school, and I'm not exaggerating when I say it's one of the most well-respected in the entire country. We kick off our classes in two weeks, so it's still possible to register. We have classes from little tiny kids right up to senior citizens, something for everybody. Um, So whether you just want to work on your confidence, your speaking skills, you want to get better at presentations, or you want to be the next Casey Levy, who's one of Broadway's biggest stars and originally from Hamilton, our theater school has something for everybody. So we start classes in two weeks, and you can check out our website if you want more information to register. That is tremendous. Yeah, theateraquarius.org, the website to head over to, and that sounds like a lot of fun, and it sounds like Season 49 is going to be a lot of fun. Mary Frances Moore, thank you for your time today. Break a leg tonight and throughout the season. Thanks so much, Rick. We'll talk soon. Mary Frances Moore, Artistic Director at Theatre Aquarius. Yeah, a lot of these productions sound amazing, whether it's Salt Baby or Serving Elizabeth that uh, debuts or premieres October uh, 19th, a Hamilton holiday just in time for the Christmas season, and then in the new year, the Extinction Therapist and the gig, as well as Maggie, will hit the stage at Theatre Aquarius. For tickets, more information to get in on the fun on this theater school as well, theateraquarius.org is the website to go to. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Tomorrow, it is game day in Steeltown as the Tiger Cats will try to snap their three-game losing streak when they host the league-leading and two-time defending Grey Cup champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Kickoff is at 4. 30 minutes after the game ends, the fifth quarter in and around 7.30. Is it going to be a win? Is it going to be a loss? Who knows? Mike Daly is an analyst with the Ticats Audio Network and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Mike, good morning. How are you? Hey, Rick. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, Hamilton is on a three-game losing streak, so I would guess that the bye last week came at a pretty good time. (laughs) Yeah. Like I was saying, I think the bye is one of those things where 
especially in the situation where Hamilton was right now, is a reset. And not even necessarily a reset as in forget everything that he did, but more like a reset as in like, okay, Dane looks like he should be getting back healthy, right? And we have to make this push now as the Ticats to be able to really get into the playoffs. Like, I don't want to say Winnipeg's a must win, but it definitely helps. And then every game after that is 100% a must win. So, you know, they need to get they need to get really dialed in for these next few games, that's for sure. Yeah, there's really some good and bad when it does come to bye weeks. If you're on a winning streak, the last thing you want is a bye because you want to keep the motor going. When you're on a losing streak, it is a good time to, you know, kind of see where you're at, see what you can improve on, and gives you a running head start into the next game. This Winnipeg team, though, I mean, this is a complete team. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Like, we're talking about coming out of a bye week for a reset, but then, surprise, now you got to play this Winnipeg team that just looks like they're... You know, like you said, they're complete. They're clicking on all cylinders, and Zach's making plays all over the place. But then when you get Zach on a bad day, right, in one of those games, well, the defense is playing lights out. Uh, special teams is giving them good field position. It's it's a good de- it's a good team, and and it's going to be a really really tough test for these tie cats. But I mean, you got to find a way if you're if you're Steinauer and and you're the the players on the tie cats, you have to find a way to pull this one out just to give yourself a, a little bit more breathing room to get in the playoffs. Cause right now, if, you know, if, if it does become that crossover, you have to catch Montreal as fast as possible. Uh, one guy who does have to really play probably his best game of the year is quarterback Dane Evans, who appears to be good to go again after missing the last couple of games with uh, a shoulder injury. How important is it for him to get back on track, not only tomorrow, but throughout the rest of this uh, last six game stretch? Yeah, well, team-wise, it's critically important, right? Because if Matthew Schultz is going to be out, I mean, the last game you saw the rotation with uh, with Jamie Newman and uh, Jalen, and, you know, it, it, nothing really seemed to click. I thought Jamie Newman was playing okay, but they're both, they're both fairly new to the game, so it's really hard for you to expect them to step in there and, and do well. Now with Matthew Schultz or Dane coming back, you need Dane to play well because it's your best chance to to win these games, right? And then for Dane specifically, I mean, I feel for the guy because early on he was getting all these tough breaks, whether it was off the receiver's hands, you know I mean, these tip balls that would get intercepted. So mentally for him, hopefully with the bye week and the little injury break that he had, he was able to just kind of reset his mind and, you know, kind of – for lack of a better word, enjoy the game again because if anybody's been in that situation like Dane, it, the game doesn't become fun at all, right? Because it's just all these bad breaks, things that aren't going well. So for him, I hope he comes out there and puts up one of his, you know, his Dane games where he's over 300, you know, a few touchdowns, right? No turnovers, whatever it's got to be to make sure he stay with the zero in the turnover column. But just for him himself, like he, he needs a good game coming up. Absolutely, Mike. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us, and enjoy the game tomorrow afternoon. Thanks, right? Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. That's Mike Daly, analyst with the Ticats Audio Network. It is Tiger Cats and Blue Bombers tomorrow afternoon. Kickoff on 900 CHML at 4, although it could be a little bit earlier because we do have McMaster-Waterloo kicking off at 1, and once that game ends, we will go to our coverage of Tiger Cats and Blue Bombers. 
Uh, either way, the fifth quarter will happen 30 minutes after the game comes to an end. Will we be talking about a surprising Ticats big upset over the Bombers? Or is it going to be another loss and a, uh, uh, staring at a record of 3-10, and 10, which I still cannot believe they're 3-9. and nine. Never mind uh, the possibility of 3-10. and 10. Who knows? We'll find out tomorrow. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Back here at home, the McMaster University women's soccer team hits the pitch this evening for a big game against OUA rivals Windsor. And here to talk about it is Miranda Wiley, the head coach of the McMaster women's soccer team. Miranda, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm not too bad. You're coming off your first win of the season uh, last weekend over Guelph. I'm sure it felt like you guys uh, got the monkey off your shoulder. Yeah, I mean, we had a tough um, schedule to start the season with Western being OUA runners-up and Guelph being in the playoffs last year. So I thought we had really good performances, and it was great to get the first win so that we could hopefully continue to build off of it. Looking at the schedule, I mean, it's it's interesting. You had Western, Western off the top, Guelph, Guelph. You have Windsor tonight again, Windsor in a couple more days. Do you like these back-to-back games? No, I don't think it's ideal for the competitiveness of the league. I, I hope that in the future they go back to the schedule being as it was before, where you don't play back-to-backs. But it was something they did last year due to COVID, and I think they just continued with it for this season as well. With these back-to-backs, does that force tactic changes, or do you just play to your strengths? It definitely forces tactic changes, right? Because you know that, you know, for example, how we play Friday is going to be the same as we play on Sunday, right? We don't have time to make real adjustments to how we play, so it's a lot of tactical changes to see if you can, you know, almost play to your strengths, but understanding how the opponent plays, because they might not change much either, right? Uh, lastly, what can you tell us about this Lancers team? Um, I don't know a ton about them. I know they're pretty young. Um, I think that based on their um, record and their competition well, they're very strong defensively. They haven't let in a lot of goals, right? And they've been able to score goals um, pretty early in the game. So we're going to need to make sure we come out first, you know, five, ten minutes of the game and not let any goals go in and then, be prepared for a physical game. We know that they're going to be a physical team, so it should be a fun one. Kickoff is at 6 at Ron Joy Stadium. Miranda, thanks for the time. Good luck tonight. Thank you. Have a great one. That is Miranda Wiley, head coach of the McMaster women's soccer team. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.